Hi, welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, the CMO Insight Series. I'm your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of the Pedowitz Group. Today we have John Kotkamp, Chief Marketing Technologist and Chief Marketing Officer for Tazu. John, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure being with you today. So, first of all, I love that title, uh, that Chief Marketing Technologist. And as you were telling me earlier, that comes first. It's a big, big part of your job. Um, I think so many executives now there, especially marketing technology, marketing executives, we're trying to get them, uh, convince them to hire technology people to report into them. But here you're doing both. So tell us a little bit about your role and why do you have both titles? Yeah, first, I want to give credit to my friend Scott Brinker, who coined the phrase uh, chief marketing technologist in an HBR article a few years ago. And the way I see it, and I think why how it's evolved and why it's an important, most accurate title for me, is that everything I do with my clients are really centered around how to do MarTech, marketing technology, and how to bridge that gap between <clears throat> traditional marketing objectives of whether it's brand conversion whether it's B2B, B2C, and increasingly B2B2C, I think is becoming probably the most important group. And that's where the technology needs to be applied to uh, to achieve the business goals set out by marketing. And therefore, I think this notion of chief marketing technologist is that's my job is to connect those dots between either two. I still am the CMO for my company. And I think one of the reasons that that is relevant is when I'm talking. I spend a lot of time talking to other CMOs, and I, I guess I, I'm what I would call a serial CMO. I've been CMO for numerous companies, uh, large and small, over the last couple of decades. And I think the biggest reason that I use that title still when I'm talking with other CMOs is we're talking the same language. We can relate to each other, and we we can have a good peer-to-peer relationship, which makes it easier to kind of start bringing in the notions of technology and business and all the other things that go with the chief marketing technologist role. So, so given your intense focus on technology and the strategic use in marketing all these years, what would you say have been you know, maybe the, the top positives as a result of technology? And then on the flip side, you know, maybe what are some of the negatives or detractions because now we have all this technology? Yeah, I think the I think the biggest goal or the biggest kind of advantage of where we've evolved the technology, the marketing technology in the last oh dozen fifteen years, uh, is around the ability to do personalization. And personalization, you know, was a buzzword a dozen years ago, and kind of has gone up and down. <clears throat> you know, it started in the days of of you know, direct mail substituting dear, fa- you know, valued customer for dear John, <clears throat> excuse me. But, you know, personalization today, I think, means the ability to, you know, dynamically deliver, you know, relevant content that fits within the context, as well as the, you know, the the desires of an individual customer or a segment of customers if it's more anonymous. And I think that technology has given us the ability to be able to look at many more variables rather than the traditional, you know, demographics of, you know, age and gender and that sort of thing, or even the third party, uh, you know, uh, appended data that you would get. Now we have the ability to look at behavior, uh, look at intent, 
look across multiple channels and be able to, you know, pull together everything to be able to understand what somebody is interested in in the moment they are engaging with the brand, whether that's on the website, an app, uh, B2B at a trade fair, whatever it may be across those channels. I think the detraction or the negative of that, uh, which is really more, I think, of a danger, is we get is the whole question of privacy. And I think we get caught up into the notion that, oh, we've got to be, you know, with GDPR coming on board, especially, we've got to be so, you know, concerned about privacy. And I think we should. And we have to understand the difference between an opt-in experience or an aggregated anonymous experience that protects somebody's privacy while still giving them what all the surveys and data suggest is that they want a customized, personalized experience. Yeah, that's a uh, uh, real, real good input. I mean, I, I think it's it's been interesting to see what people have been willing to give up and, and what they got. Um, yeah. You know, I, I remember uh, first couple, you know, smartphone is only 10 years old, right? Yeah. Uh, first couple of years, people wouldn't even think about doing banking on, on the phone, at least here in the U.S. Yeah. Anyway. And now it's, uh, you see like drive, the drive-thrus are pretty much closed all the time at banks because people don't go to the banks anymore. They're doing everything yeah. on their phone. Um, so I think, I guess it's just a lot of it depends upon the, uh, the value and, and the benefit that the customer is getting. Um, I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier when you are talking about B2B2C. Um, with technology and all the channels now, for just about any business, isn't it almost like B2E? I mean, you could, you could pretty much sell to anyone <laughs> uh, in yeah. a lot of different ways just depending upon how you adapt your business model. Yeah, and I think you, you we've seen over the last you know decade or so, you know the the proliferation of disintermediation. I mean, we look at the travel industry. You know, back when I was you know general manager for for Lufthansa German Airlines, we sold ninety percent of our sales were through travel agents. You know, and then of course that moved completely to the you know to the online brokers, the Expedia's and Priceline. But more and more, it's that you know direct sale to the customer. And you see that in, you know, moving, beginning to see that in the, you know, fintech and the, you know, financial services and definitely in the insurance, the auto insurance frame. But I think what the challenge for, you know, you've got the disintermediation that is best represented by Amazon. Any manufacturer can sell directly through an Amazon site directly to the public. But I think that that uh, forgets about the important role that channel, whether that's distributor, agent, partner, whatever you want to call them, depending on your industry's play. And so I think the big challenge for B2, uh, B2C is to be able to have like a manufacturer, for example, uh, we're working with a, a large, you know, international uh, electronics manufacturer from, from Taiwan. And their challenge is they wanted to be able to develop the relationships and the brand affinity with their customers, but they're not trying to completely eliminate the distribution channel, which is whether it's big box or whether it's direct, you know, or e-sales through an Amazon. They're not willing to give up that channel because it's very valuable and financially very stable for them. But at the same time, they see the need and the desire to develop direct relationships with their clients. 
we worked with a, a motorcycle company a couple of years ago, and this is just a couple of years ago, and the only way they had data about their customers were the people that were still sending in the three by five warranty cards, because everything was being sold through dealers, and dealers didn't share the customer information with the manufacturer. And that's what we see as the biggest challenge in the B2C world, is to include that manufacturer or that source into that mix, not just completely eliminating the distribution channel. I was just, uh, that, that description of index cards, I couldn't help but think of the salesperson with the, the boxes in their trunk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with all their customer exactly. records. Yeah. I think they're probably still out there, some of them. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I think even CRM worldwide, the penetration is only about 55%, I think, of all yeah. companies. So um, I still see, I've seen uh, Fortune uh, 5,000 companies don't even have an active CRM. They're using yeah. an Excel spreadsheet. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I think you and I did, we did a workshop many years ago, 10, 12 years ago, and, and one of the topics was around sales and marketing alignment. And um, do you think that things have changed um, significantly since then? Is it still a big challenge? Well, if we remember kind of the, the, the dawn, the first generations of CRM, the biggest challenges around that, which probably still speaks to some of the things you were just saying, is the fact to try to get salespeople to write things down. You know, that was a challenge. And I think there were two challenges associated that one with the technology and that I think the technology has come so far that it is so easy, whether it's capturing data on their smartphone, whether it's the company able to populate things to take a lot of that day to day kind of paper pushing effort that a lot of, you know, field salespeople felt that it was as a hard thing to, you know, as the biggest impediment to keep them from using the system. But I think the other biggest challenge, and I think this is one that still exists, is this notion of who owns the customer. And especially in the B2B space, is I think a lot of field sales organization, the salesperson perceives that they own the customer. You know, I was talking about channel situations earlier. The distributor or the partner feels they own the challenge or own the customer, not that the end, you know, the brand or the customer does. I remember working with a very large software company in my neck of the woods. Uh, you know, this is going back probably close to a decade, but, you know, each division in that company that sold various different business software versus operating systems versus servers and other systems, each one of them perceived that they owned the customer. And I remember there was a classic example that one farmer in Iowa got on average about 200 emails a week from this one company because they were viewed as a small business. They were viewed as agribusiness. They were buying, you know, operating systems. They were buying, you know, every different system. And because of this conflict of quote unquote ownership of the customer, this created horrible customer experiences. I think the good side is that, again, the technology exists now much more refined that can get by a lot of that and make sure that you, we don't bombard the uh, any individual customer. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of that still is happening because um, – Every company talks about being customer focused, but in reality, I think they're more customer service focused in terms of being reactionary versus truly redesigning their business, their solutions, their technology around the customer in the middle. So no matter what they do until they actually make that happen, these things are going to happen, even if it's unintended. 
Yes. Yeah. I think one of the, to me, one of the critical things that, and I, I speak a lot of this with my clients, is to get the company to understand what we call the fair exchange of value. And that is on the one side, take, for example, a customer or a, a person, doesn't even have to be a customer, coming to your company's website. They are coming there for a specific purpose. That purpose may be you know, gaming and entertainment. It may be customer service. It may be researching a product. It may be to buy something in the e-commerce. There's, you know, there's a dozen different reasons somebody comes. And so you need, as a company, to make sure that you provide the best experience to allow that person to achieve what they want and what their goal is. The flip side of that is the business has very specific goals that they need to achieve. They need to move somebody down the, the, the funnel, even if it's not a traditional, you know, lineal funnel. They need to drive conversions. They need to add, you know, increase affinity. They need to increase shopping cart size. They need to increase the breadth of their, you know, the cross-sell, upsell, all of their goals. And you have to find a way to be able to, at every touch point, between customer and brand, you have to be able to balance those two sides, what the customer wants out of it and what the business needs out of it to be able to have a successful experience that will drive that relationship forward. So can you think of some public examples of where companies are really getting it right? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, I would look at a good example. We do a lot of work with uh, with Starbucks, and they do an incredible job. In their their tradition, just the experience when somebody walks into a store, they you know they design the whole third place concept. It is a good experience when people come I mean, in, even if you stand in line. Yeah, and they have become the, the de facto leader. So they are the technology leader in mobile apps in most of the world outside of China, where you know you've got a different situation, and they've done that about 25% of their total you know, sales in their stores in the U.S. are driven by their mobile app. And that has, that has created a really good customer experience. It is quicker, it is easier, and the customer gets the recognition. And of course, what does Starbucks get is incredible data stream of what their customers are actually buying, what they're interested in uh, with their loyalty program, what things, you know, what rewards are meaningful to them. And I I think that's probably one of the best examples I can think of, of somebody getting it, it right. Now, that being said, 25% use the mobile app, 75% in the U.S. don't. So there's that opportunity, an incredible opportunity to increase their understanding and knowledge of what their customers are interested to go after and learn more of the preferences of the 75% who've chosen so far not to use their mobile app. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because they're, they're kind of starting to give you that Amazon experience now. So if you use the, the app frequently enough, if you've got location services turned on at, at certain select stores, I mean, as soon as you pull up, uh, you're, like, they already bring up a menu before you even have to order because you know a lot of people order similar types of things. So they'll say, "Hey, yeah. you know, Jeff, welcome back to Starbucks. Is this uh, is this what you want?" And, and that, that, that's really cool. It's just a little, a little creepy, but still cool, right? Just, uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's just goes to hey. Um, 
apps are centric because it really uh, measures customer behavior. And once you can really see what customers are truly doing, then you can tailor your services and the experience to how the customer actually is behaving. Um, and and yeah. I think everyone aspires to get there, regardless of the business model. Uh, now, we all don't have drive throughs and retail locations, but I think the, the core principles are probably still the same. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. And, and you make a good point of kind of looking at actual behavior. We've got a whole practice in our area called virtual ethnography, where we do a lot of our research is understanding how people around a topic are behaving, talking in the broadest sense of the social world, you know, and and for us, that's understanding what people are actually saying that they think, which is different than what they say in a focus group or a traditional survey that has some inherent biases. And we always kind of use the, the, you know, the, the analogy, if you want to study the behavior of tigers, you don't go to a zoo, you go into the jungle. And we find that if you can look at that broadest spectrum of an audience including your customers, but also outside of your customers, then you could start to, again, understand what their desires, what they're looking for, and then you could start to tailor the experience you deliver to what people actually want. And that should be mirrored in how they actually behave with the mobile app or just in general, you know, on the web or whatever channel they're engaging you with. Great insights, John, as, as always. So uh, thank you so much for being on the program today. Um, I always enjoy following your career and seeing all the great things. And, and uh, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. Jeff, I want to thank you for, for inviting me to join with you today. I think that, uh, you know, I appreciate and followed your career. And I think more importantly, have, have followed the industry that we're both a part of. And it's exciting to me that, you know, we've begun the journey. We haven't ended the journey. You know, I, I'm uh, reminded of the famous Bill Gates quote of, you know, most technology is overrated in the short term and undervalued in the long term. And I think that we're seeing the, the role of marketing technology and the advancement of customer experience just beginning to take advantage of, of what's capable now today. Well said. And uh, in the spirit of uh, loyalty, right, and customer service, here's, here's, yeah. <laughs> here's yeah. to the journey. <laughs> I will, I will, next time when I'm over there, I will tell them Jeff Petterwitz is a good customer. There you I'll go. see if they can let you look out. We'll violate all the privacy and I'll look up your record and see what you bought last. All right. Actually, yeah, you have my, you have my permission for that one. So thank you, John. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that.